Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show, and thank you for tuning in. I am your host, T-Love, here at From the Heart Radio, and the founder and CEO of Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, 
a nonprofit dedicated to providing underprivileged children with basic necessities of life. I'm also a board-certified psychotherapist specializing in energy therapy and vibrational sound therapy with a private practice in Sussex <clears throat> County, New Jersey, where From the Heart Radio streams to you live each and every week, bringing you optimistic and uplifting information from very interesting people, people who are making a positive impact in our world. And today, our guest, I am so excited about this. This is a great guest. Her name is Sally Crow. She is a natural psychic medium who weaves the traditions of her Irish traveler and Blackfoot heritage with modern magical techniques. For more than 30 years, she has worked as a spirit channel, seer, and intuitive healer, offering readings and teaching workshops throughout the United States as well as internationally. She is the author of The Path of Elemental Witchcraft, as well as her newly launched book, Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying, which is our topic for discussion. And you can learn more about Sally Crow by visiting her website, sallycrow.com, that's S-A-L-I-C-R-O-W.com. Write that down, but then go after the show. Listen to the show, and then go check that out after the show. <laughs> so, Sally Crow, thank you for taking time to be here. Welcome to the show. It is indeed a pleasure to have you join us on From the Heart Radio. How are you being? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm doing well, and I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited. I loved your book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love it when authors use their stories to convey a message and your mm-hmm. stories are so thoughtfully written, engaging, entertaining, enlightening. They kind of check all the boxes while conveying, I'll call it the sacredness of death and how it is perceived by both the person who's passing and those who love them. It is uplifting as much as people think, wow, what a subject. It is uplifting, and it allows the reader to learn how to live with those in spirit on a daily basis, which I thought was wicked cool. So having said that, what was the catalyst for you writing this particular book? Oh, um, I have I've been a, a professional psychic for over 30 years, and um, a professional medium, spirit medium for over 20. And this book was written for, it was written for the people who come to me, the all my clients and the people like them, which are everyday people, you know, doctors and grandmas and um, waitresses and everyday people of all kinds, because we all have, people we love that have passed and we're all going to die. So, um, but as a medium, a lot of times people ask the same questions about death. They're very curious about it and they want to know what happens to their loved ones after death. They want to know how spirit tries to communicate with us. Um, Those are the questions that they're asking along with receiving, you know, direct messages from their loved ones. They have questions about death and dying. And so I kept this book short. It's just a little over a hundred pages. And I did that on purpose because I wanted it to be accessible to everybody. And Mm -hmm. I knew that if it was too big, that it would be intimidating. And I really wanted this to be a guide so that gay people, all of us had something that we could use when we are, you know, experiencing death in its 
forms. You know, you're right. Your book is only 100 pages long, so it's a quick read, but it's so jam-packed with really wonderful information to help both the caretakers, okay, or the people who are supporting the person who's passing, transitioning, as well as the mm-hmm. person who is transitioning. It's so well written. I've never seen anything or read anything, and I've read a lot of books for the show on grief and dying, that really puts it in a way that will make you feel better. And I know that sounds a little odd, but, but that's true. because you know, Most people are afraid of death because it's the unknown. And other than reading about right. those who have experienced, let's say, NDEs, um, near-death experiences, mm-hmm. which are considered skeptical by all accounts by many, many people, society doesn't speak about death and dying until it's happening in their own sphere. That's when people start to, right. to talk about it, when somebody knows it's passing. So there's no education, if you will, and I'll use the word no mm-hmm. etiquette, on how to speak right. about dying to anyone. It's just not done. So in an odd way, and this is may sound a little crazy to some people, but death to me is somewhat of a rite of passage. I look at it yes. as a birthing into another realm. And we got here. We don't know mm-hmm. where we were before. We don't remember that. So when people say, I'm seeing the light, I'm like, well, when you're in the womb, you're seeing the light, you want to get out. I don't know why, because now that I'm exactly. here, what was I thinking? You know? So now, <laughs> and if we had, and, and I believe, I really believe that they're still around us. If we had glasses similar to those used in the theater for 3D movies, I bet we mm-hmm. would see our planet is more populated than we realize because our loved ones are still here. So in, in right. my opinion anyway, I don't know where they go, but I know when they're around. I've felt them around. I've seen them around, and I don't think they're far away. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit? Sure. I, I am a person who sees them all around, and – that is, you know, not all mediums are people who visually experience the dead. I do. Um, and well, how I look at it is that I like to describe um, the world, if you will, through those colored folders, you know, the ones that you do for reports that are clear mm-hmm. and some are blue, some are red, some are yellow, some are green. And yep. I look at it that we all live in the clear folder, the white folder, so we can all see in this dimension. And if we look at those folders like dimensions, then, you know, the our beloved dead, the spirits of human dead might be in a blue folder. And so not everybody can see, and that's like a form of color blindness, if you will. And nature spirits might be in a green. And so they are right here in many ways. And they are around Mm -hmm. us. And they do often in spirit communication sessions talk about things that are happening in their living loved one's lives right now. Like things like, oh, you painted your bedroom purple. Or, you know, I noticed that you um, have, it looks like sheets or something hanging up all around your room. And, you know, this actually happened. And the woman was like, well, I do she had closed off her room with a really big bedroom and she had closed off part of her bedroom with sheets because when her husband died it was too painful and too empty and but he came through talking about how you know like because I didn't understand what I was seeing but I was like it looks like you got fabric or curtains or sheets hanging up all around your room um you know so they are often in the same dimension as us they are here and experiencing 
it's different, but they're experiencing this space as well. It's really interesting because I, in your book, you were talking about how loved ones can sometimes take physical form. And I've seen that in two mm-hmm. ways. Now, I am by no means a, a psychic or a medium, not at all. But I think because of the work that I do, the energy therapy work that I do, I mm-hmm. get information. And, yes. and it's kind of like I'm just open. So if they see an opening, they go for it. So yep. <laughs> I was talking, a friend of mine came over and brought me flowers on my birthday. And as the conversation, I invited her in, we were having a conversation. And as the conversation continued, I kept looking at her face and it fascinated me because her face was somewhat shape shifting and I could see my mm-hmm. godmother. And I was like, yep. okay, why is my, why is my godmother here on her face? This is really weird. Now this is, you know, quite a while ago, 20 years ago or more. And, and I never could figure it out. I don't know why. Oh my God. I do know why. <laughs> I know why. Oh my God, Sally it has to be you. Um, <laughs> okay. So my godmother's on her face and I'm fascinated by it and I can't, I, I'm not saying anything to her. We're just having a conversation. I'm continuing with the conversation, but in my head, I'm thinking, why is my godmother showing herself in, in Carol's face? This is bizarre. And it yep. lasted for like a half an hour. But Carol came over on my birthday, and my godmother died on my ninth birthday. Oh. And, and I here's think the she thing was that probably there. Yeah, I actually talk about that in the book, that it's easier for spirits to show themselves if they superimpose themselves on something else. So mm. it's not often, you know, not all spirits would think to do it on another person, but it, it's why we often will say, you know, I saw something out of my corner of my eye and I turned to look and, oh, it was a garbage can, you know, it was my imagination. It's like, no, the spirit, when we think about what a spirit has to get through in our mind, one of the first levels of understanding or perception that has to happen is that if I look into an empty field, there's a spirit standing there. I first have to get over the barrier that my mind wants to tell me that there's nothing in there but an empty field. So if there is something standing in the field, it's easier for us to get through that first barrier that says, yes, something is standing in the field. Okay. And then Mm -hmm. the second barrier is that part where we can usually do it almost immediately like you did. Oh, it's my godmother. But most of us talk ourselves out of it. You know, we come up with all the reasons why, or we say something like, I think I just saw my godmother. And as soon as we put that word think in, we're adding doubt. So if instead we replace that sentence and said, I saw my godmother, we would have a sensation or a feeling in our body and we would know whether that was true or not. And you can try this because we all have like this inner you know, dowsing pendulum in our own body, if you will. And it really stands out once we've had an experience with spirit. So you have that experience and you immediately throw doubt in. And then as you remember it, it gets foggier and more questionable. But if instead you made it an affirmative statement of, no, you know, I, I did see that. I saw my grandmother. All of a sudden, boom, you did see your grandmother or you did see your godmother or you did see your friend, whatever it is. That all makes sense, but what I can't figure out is why it's taken me till just now to realize why she was there. I mean, I was more fascinated with her being on my friend's face and not being able to figure mm-hmm. it out. And as I'm talking to him, like, oh, my God, it was my birthday. She died on my ninth birthday. I think she was yeah. there to say happy birthday to me. And that was 20 years ago. I'm so sorry. 
Yeah, no, maybe you needed it this right now, too. Maybe you needed to remember her right now for this moment. You yeah, know? I guess so. That's just bizarre. How stupid am I? Oh, my God. Anyway. It's not. Um, it's just like we often overthink things. And one of the things that, like, you know, mediums, spirits communicate in different ways. And some spirits directly talk. And, you know, some spirits show more imagery and emotion and so there is interpretation that has to happen, you know, so a medium has, I usually, if I'm seeing images, I'll just say what I'm seeing. I don't try to interpret it because I find that, um, first of all, it's more personal that way. And second of all, it usually means something to the other person, not me, but right. It can, but if I'm wrong or if I'm teaching students and I always tell them like, if you're wrong, instead of being like, I'm wrong, try to figure out how you were wrong because you were receiving the message. You just were yeah. misinterpreting the message. And that's totally different than being wrong because our confidence is built where we're like, no, I got the message. I just misinterpreted what the message was about or I didn't, you know, um, or like in your case, I was so in, you know, awe and questioning why my godmother would be showing up on my friend's face and to be able to hold that for a half an hour okay um that takes a lot of energy so it was important enough to her to do that yeah and it was i was just so i'm a capricorn so i was probably fascinated in looking for the logistical part of it i'm going to give myself that Right, you were trying to analytically figure out the situation. Yes, I was, for 20 years plus. What an idiot. Again, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But I do find that spirit uses symbols to communicate all the time. And by symbols, it could be anything, an image, an event, words, phrase, someone yep. utters that they probably wouldn't ordinarily use, a song, favorite mm-hmm. food, an item, anything. And I remember, I know because, again, the work that I do when I'm administering energy therapy, sometimes I get information And at the end of the session, when I say, how do you feel? And they'll say something, I'll say, okay, now let me tell you what I got. And I'll tell them what I got. And I'll say, this doesn't make sense. And I'll say, I saw a girl in a pink tutu. I saw a stairway in the middle of a yard going to nowhere from a flat piece of land up a hill to another piece of land. And I saw a racetrack. I don't know what it means. Maybe you can figure it out. And she said, oh, I know what it is. And I almost Uh fell over because she could actually tell me what each and everything was. And it wasn't a pink tutu. It was, um, she said, it's not a little girl in a pink tutu. She has on one of those, um, like, pink things you use in a swimming pool. And I thought it was a tutu. I was like, hey, close enough. You know, that's okay. Exactly. Exactly. So it was kind of weird. You really got it. Yeah. And I think. Well, that's why I was going to say, like, you say that you're not psychic. And so the term psychic is really, it's just like everything. It's got a, a level of degree. And anybody who's doing energetic healing is doing psychic healing. They're doing, they're using a a system of force that they are not, you know, that's not part of our, you know, five senses or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's something else. Right. So, and you're receiving messages that are accurate. You are having a psychic experience. I'm just That's not putting piece. out a shingle like, saying I'm a psychic. Exactly. So, you know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I tried, um, one of my, I guess my big goals in life is to try to make, you know, like what I consider everyday magic 
normal, you know, so things mm-hmm. like divination and having these intuitive experiences and having experiences with spirit, you know, like I think of it as like the psychic arts. This is something normal and this is something that, you know, most of us experience to some degree. And it's normal to me. I mean, I've had stuff happen since I was little. I just didn't, like any muscle, mm-hmm. right? You go to the gym and you can build it up. If I really right. sat down and built this up, I could do it. But I don't yep. I do not do that. I just allow it to happen through my work as it does. And sometimes it happens outside my work. I will never forget that yep. I was talking to a gentleman. And we had like three conversations at three different times. And in each conversation, he mentioned his mother. In the first conversation, I, I got a hit. And I thought, why am I picturing Marilyn Monroe in that famous pose where she's, you mm-hmm. know, over the fan or whatever. Second yep. conversation, same thing. Third conversation, I said, listen, I have to ask you a question. Is your mother's name Marilyn? And he said, yeah, why? And I said, I don't know. I think she's here and she wants to say, and he looked at me like, I said, I think she just is using me because I'm an easy target and she wants you to know she's here and she loves you. I, I'm guessing that's what it's all about. Yeah. It was so and that's weird. Exactly it was that so symbolism weird. that I was, I talk about a lot is that um, spirit yep. will use like kind of like um i think i heard this once in something i read from john edwards where he said that he had a file cabinet like he had a file cabinet in his head and that image imagery has always stuck for me because i look at it the same way it's like it is kind of like they're pulling a file cabinet because they're going through and they're saying, okay, it's like i said a sophisticated game of charades sometimes it's like okay i'm just showing her this um, because names are actually my Achilles heel. I'm not very good with names. I can get lots of details, personalities, strange events. Um, and one time I had this spirit who he kept showing me his chest. And I finally I was like, God, he keeps showing me his chest and he's really hairy. And they started laughing because <laughs> his name was Harry. So just like your Marilyn Monroe thing, some spirits yeah. are like, okay, how can I get them to say my name? Um, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. And sometimes I know when you go into my treatment room, before you get in there, there's a light at the bottom of the stairs and every once in a while, and and it was for a while, the same person should come in, would walk down the stairs, the light would flicker. And people always think, Mm -hmm. oh, the light's flickering. So it's probably spirit. And that can be true in a lot of places. Um, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's really just the light bulb going. But some, so I always say to the light, you know, when it flickers oddly, you know, okay, can you provide another symbol? Because, you know, let's face it, all dead people can do the light trick. It must be the first one they, right. they teach you on the other side. So, you know, I want to see right. something else. Give me something bigger. Sometimes you get something and sometimes you don't. So you can ask for clarification. Yes. <laughs> You can. You have to be open. What I tell people, though, is that not all spirits, it's not like they get a handout. They don't all know how to communicate the same way. Um, One of the things that I have learned over the years is that introverts and extroverts have a tendency to communicate differently. Extroverts are what I call the chatty Cathy's of the spirit world. They're the ones that are talking directly. Like I will often find that like I can pick up their nuances of how they put words together and um, you know, things like that. And they're very showy about, well, they're showy about themselves. Um, Introverts have more of a tendency to fill me with emotions and to show me images kind of like the Marilyn Monroe thing, um, you know, 
and it's not to say that introverts can't communicate through language, but they're not as good at it. But so it's really very similar to, you know, it taught me a lot about how introverts and extroverts experience the world, you know, like, um, because I could see this in the way that they choose to communicate differently in spirit and, you know, people, yeah. And spirits also, it's kind of like, well, what were they like in life? If they listen to a lot of music, chances are they're going to come through in music or try to. If they were really um, into technology, then you can expect them to be doing all kinds of stuff with your cell phones, your computers, your, um, you know. And again, not all spirits have the same strength, just like not all living people have the same strength at communicating between the worlds. You know, some people might have a random experience while other people have, you know, a clear communication and it's the same with the dead. So we can't, um, we can't feel like our loved ones don't love us as much because they don't have all of these big shows of how they communicate. It might be that they just really aren't a spirit that's any good at it. Well, I also think too, as a, as a recipient or a person who gets information to give to somebody, Mm -hmm. you get I get a feeling. I get this feeling. I can, I, I'll say to people sometimes, it feels like a female energy. I don't know what I'm talking yeah. about, okay, except to say it feels like a female energy. I don't know what that means, or it feels like a male energy. I can't explain yep. it. It just, it just comes out of my mouth. And I think, okay, So well, you could know. go <laughs> further. You, just, you could go further. One of the things I tell people is if you're having those kind of experiences, you just got to get better at asking questions. One of the things mm. that, you know, I consider myself, I tell people I'm not a gossip, but I'm incredibly nosy. You know, to be quite honest, you couldn't be a psychic for a career and not be nosy, right? Um, so I ask a lot of questions. If a spirit shows me a yellow school bus in my head, I'm saying, why are you showing me a school bus? Give me more, you know, and I'm literally having this conversation with a spirit that is happening in my head that is, you know, while I'm also having a spirit with the living, but I'm not, you know, but I'm not speaking every question I ask the dead out loud to them. I'm talking to that person and saying like, okay, um, you know, you show me a school bus, you know, did you drive a school bus? Did something significant happen on a school bus? You know, I give them, it's kind of like being a detective. And that's the thing too. If I take Myers-Briggs test, you know, they always yep. tell me that I should be a police detective or a military commander. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I think it's because of the way that I question. I have a very, um, well, I have a very analytical brain. So I don't think that your questioning that your brain does is necessarily a bad trait. We need to have both that fluid, intuitive brain in order to have those communications. And we also need to have you know, that analytical brain that makes us question, you know, why are you doing this? What should this look like? You know, are you trying to show me something like, or what you say with a light bulb, give me another sign because, you know, I'm paying attention now, but yeah. I need more than this. Yeah, that's the first trick you learn, so don't give me that. <laughs> you know? Right. Because everybody over right. there can do it. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, you can give it to me, but that's kind of like the, hey, heads up, something's going on. Now you should be paying attention. Um, 
kind of thing, you know, like turning the light on is exactly, you know, your thing. And then, oh, now I got to pay attention. There's more stuff coming. And, you know, spirits are opportunistic. And, you know, okay, so we're talking about the people who have passed, but I have a question. It's a little off topic, but you mm-hmm. probably can, can give some insight to that. There are times, many times, many times when big things have happened in our country, in the world, and a few mm-hmm. days ahead of time, I've thought, oh, my God, the shit's going to hit the fan. Something's going to yeah. go down. Yeah. And, and I don't so, know what it is, but I get this sinking feeling. What is that? That's not a specific loved one telling me anything, right? That's just, no, what is not. that? That's, that's a form of precognitive um, ability, and we all have that, too. You know, they've done tests, and people often will physically react to something a split second before something actually happens. And this is just regular mm. ordinary people. Okay. And when yep. we have a heightened psychic sensitivity, which you do, which has, you know, been developed, you've had experience since you were little, you've also worked in a field that allows you to expand that in a direction. Um, so you're psychically sensitive. Okay. And precognitive means that we are, remembering something before it happens. So Mm. if you think of, I like to think of, well, first of all, that time isn't linear. So when we remember the past, there are different variations in the way that a thing is remembered. When we remember the future, there's different variations in the way that things are remembered. It's not always exact. So when you have a, um, precognitive experience or if you've developed yourself to the point where a person who does readings and gets precognitive information, you are seeing what is likely to happen. There are always slight variations because, you know, like science explains it through the, you know, quantum physics and all of these different realities that are happening at once. Okay. Right. Yep. Big events, big events are like, I like to think of the future like a spider web. And so, you know, you don't, might not feel every little tiny breeze that hits the web, you know, but when something right. big hits the web, everybody is alerted. Okay. Yeah. And it's also why most people, when they first start having precognitive experiences, because I've gotten a lot of calls and helped a lot of people through this particular situation they almost always are bad. Yeah. You know, like they had they had a premonition about a car accident. They had a premonition about their house burning down. They had a premonition about, you know, their husband leaving them. And they're like, why do I always only see bad things? And it's because those bad things put out a bigger ripple on the web. Because the other thing that a lot of people have precognitive experiences about is a baby coming people getting mm-hmm. married. Yep. So they're yep. also really big, you know, oh my gosh, so many people are affected by that or, you know, who have an ex- emotional experience around it. So when global events happen, it usually is something that people will experience days, weeks up to. I've had moments where I actually, you know, just spontaneously started crying and Mm. when I you know I marked this this actually happened a few different times so I started marking it 
And these were moments during the early, um, you know, beginning of the war in Iraq where, you know, major mosques were being bombed and stuff like that were, you know, like that were affecting huge amounts of people, you know? So I just, what I would do is I would go downstairs and I would just like type in, you know, like news events and I would start looking for what time did something happen at and be able to go, okay, I had, I actually literally felt it. Not only was it a precognitive thing maybe, but in the moments that something really big happened, I actually felt it. So I think we, as a people are going through a psychic evolution and which is a normal thing. And that's why I like to use the word evolution. It's a adaptation in which we are becoming more um, psychic. We're having an expansion of our consciousness. I mean, there's so many ways to describe it awakening. Um, But I think awakening when you make it all like glossy and rose colored is just as much of a disservice as, you know, making death something that is two weeks, I mean, awake, a funeral, and two weeks of casseroles, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. it's hollow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember before 9-11, quite a few days before 9-11, I got this sinking feeling. And then that morning, I was driving to the dentist, and the sky was so blue in Massachusetts. I lived there at the time, and it was so blue. It was so gorgeous. And a lot of people after the fact were commenting on it, and I thought, wow, the sky is so gorgeous. I've never seen a more gorgeous autumn sky. And then I thought, but this yeah. isn't good. And within a half right. an hour, it had happened. And I was like, oh, my God. Right. Princess Diana, very similar thing. I knew something's coming. It's going to be big, and it's not going to be yeah. good. And it, it's going to affect so somebody that are, people love. You know, yeah. Thinking of that as those ripples in the web that, you know, that's why. And that helps people who are having, you know, precognitive experiences, and especially in the beginning opening of it, if they're really painful experiences, you know, um, I'm currently writing a book um, for empaths and for basically like the beginning of psychic opening and awareness stuff because I feel like there's a lot of things that hap- that are happening to people that need explanations, which is kind of like when you asked me why did I write this book on spirit speaker, which is about not only death and dying, but spirit communication and honoring our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And for the same reason, it's like, I think that we are both going through a psychic opening and spiritually starving at the same time. So culturally, you know, our religion used to kind of be assigned at birth, you know, what country do you live in? You know, Oh, if you don't know what you are and you're an American, you're Christian or, Um, you know, it was just, even if all you did was celebrate Christmas and Easter, it was still, you know, there you go. These are your rules. And that's really stepped away. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that freedom of religion and multiple viewpoints is really important and necessary. But what it's done is that we're kind of in that gap between so there's a lot of people who just don't have any connection right now. They don't know. And so they don't understand the, this heightened awareness that they have. And our world is filled with fear <laughs> and, yeah. you know, the generation of fear, like purposely generating fear. And mm-hmm. so 
you know, writing Spirit Speaker, a lot of what I was trying to do was to show people that, you know, like what you were saying when you were given the introduction is like, there's something beautiful and sacred in death. There's uh-huh. something wonderful, you know, and it's and painful, you, yes, but it's yes. beautiful too. It's painful for the people left behind. Yes. But even then with time, everything can then move forward. And it needs to yeah. at a given point. And you spoke about nurses experiencing spirit in the halls late at night while mediums can't even yeah. go to the grocery store without seeing a few dead people. So nurses, as much as they're not necessarily practicing energy work or psychics or mediums, because they're so close to working in hospice, I've done a lot of children's hospice. Yep. First of all, kids know. They know exactly where they're yeah. going. They know what's, and, they know, and they're not afraid. I had a little boy say right. to me, I'm going to go see Jesus. And I said, yeah, I know. And he said, do you want me to tell him anything? And I looked at the kid like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I just said to him, I said, tell him. I said, hey, hey, thank you. I mean, I didn't know what to say, right. you know. And he's a little yeah. kid. And, but they know they get it, and they're not afraid because they know they're going someplace that's going to be safe and sacred, and they won't hurt anymore. They know this because they're so right. much closer to spirit than we are because they're young. But, right. you know, it still makes it really difficult to help them pass over I, I, to transition. When I'm in hospice mm-hmm. with a kid, I know I'm there more for the family than I am for that child. Oh, that absolutely. child knows I'm there for them, but it's after they pass that the family needs me. And I'm like, okay, yeah. this is really, this is hard. And the first thing I noticed yeah. was people feeling guilty. And I, I remember walking into the hall and talking to the aunt of a little boy, and I said, why is everybody, it looks like they're feeling guilty. And she goes, well, yeah, they're guilty because they feel, you know, because he, he passed away. And I said, okay, they need to know that they're, the guilt needs to go because they're not happy that the child passed. They're just relieved that the child isn't suffering. That's, right. that's nothing to be guilty about. And once I understood that, and I don't know where that came from, I just got it. And I told her and she went in and talked to people. And then I came in and everybody was a little bit, better that kind of lifted Mm -hmm. but it didn't I mean they're still grieving my god they're still grieving but at least that piece was taken off so it's kind of um it's kind of interesting and you talk about the gray area do you want to speak to Mm -hmm. that for a little bit tell us about the gray area so the gray is a term that I was given by spirit that describes that space in between life and death when a person is dying and can no longer get better and often it's it's like considered kind of active dying it usually is about a year to a year and a half if it's less time than that the spirit I'm talking to will usually tell me that you know you know they really feel like it's this much time they're making a gauge the description that I use is that of pregnancy because first of all life and death birth and death are gateways and when a person's coming into this world, the, we know they're coming because the mother's belly grows and the bigger the belly gets, the closer the baby is to coming. We know that a, another human is coming in um, or another mammal even. Um, and with the gray, it's more that they become more solid or their form is more tangible in the spirit world. So the mm-hmm. lot closer they become, you know, that's the closer they're getting to death. 
And that lets their spirits who are connected to them, their beloved dead, their ancestors, loved ones, friends, and family gather to connect with them as well. And mediums are people who kind of exist in the gray because they go in and out of that space easily. Hospice nurses, death doulas, family members who are actively taking care of a dying loved one to some extent exist in the gray as well because they, I call it the have, um, I say I have a frequent flyer pass, you know, like (laughs) it basically means I'm here a lot. Yeah, it's me. I don't have to, you know, you know me, you recognize me. The same thing happens when we're sitting with our, you know, our dying is that, we also, you know, maybe it's only a temporary thing for some people, you know, that they have their most spirit experiences during that time. And that's because that dying person is basically creating the um, the thinning of that veil between the worlds. They are creating the, the portal, if you will. Which I think is thinning right now anyway naturally as you said yes yeah it's been crazy Um, yeah (laughs) it's always thin the veil has always thinned like at halloween Samhain, and then beltane you know the beginning of may um one of the things that i've noticed over the you know last few years is that while it thins at those points, it doesn't ever seem to thicken back up again. So instead of thinning, it used to be that it would like start thinning in September. Halloween was kind of the peak. And then by Thanksgiving, it was back to being, you know, thicker. And, you know, same thing going through mid-April to maybe the summer solstice. And then, boom, it was back to being thicker. And then that doesn't happen anymore. It just gets thinner Mm -hmm. the time it goes around one of those cycles. (laughs) Which is good. You know, a lot more yeah. people might be getting more aware and, and, and doing things. I want to go back to one thing that I, I meant to ask in the in the last um, sure. question that I asked about um, people coming through. Do you find, have you ever noticed, is there a difference? You brought up religion, and that's a good point there because so many mm-hmm. people are entrenched in their beliefs. Is there, yeah. if people are more entrenched in their beliefs, is it more difficult for them to to communicate with us or for us to communicate with them? Does that stick with them as they go over the other side? Or is this like a man-made thing no. and religion is for just the like- most part, For the most part, it doesn't. I think that really spiritual people, I want to make the exception if your religion involves hate, then you're going to mm. have to have some time out and some working through some stuff because you're going to re- figure out that hate just is not okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but if you're just have really strong religious, spiritual beliefs, um, often those people are easier to communicate with because they believed in something after life thoroughly during their life. And I live in Northern Vermont. So there's a lot of French Canadians um, that live where I do, or they come down to have appointments with me. Um, and a lot of their relatives are Catholic. There's a lot of a lot of Catholic, and I have communicated with many, many, many Catholic grandmothers. You know, people who show me that they have statues of Mary in their house and holy water fonts on their 
you know, yeah, yeah. Well, so they might have um, a different understanding when they cross over because they realize that, you know, like, I think religion is valid and does have something beautiful to offer, but I don't think it's one kind, you know, one size fits all. And so my own personal experience is that from everything I have experienced, I believe in reincarnation. I believe that um, while we might go on to a higher plane of existence, I think we have a lot of lifetimes of working through things before that would happen. And I've never met anyone who's talked about going to heaven or anyone who's talked about going to hell. Mm. And, you know, I do think that there, when we have done really bad things to ourselves, to others, we're put into what I refer to as time out, which is a place of reflection in which we have to review the actions of our life, how they affected others. And this isn't a place of torture or punishment. Um, Our emotions are turned down significantly when we die. So reviewing our life is done able to be done more like watching television where we can have an emotional response to things, but not be drowning in it. Um, And most people who do bad things to themselves or bad things to others or who are struggling with mental illness or any of those kind of things that would make it so that a loved one might be questioning what happens to them after death. What I've found is that they had their emotional dial way up too high and it wasn't their fault, but it was their reality that their emotions, you know, I talk about emotions on a volume dial of zero to 10 and that like if we're listening to the stereo and most people go through life with their emotions at about a three or four and Mm -hmm. people with really high anxiety, trauma, depression, mental illness, their emotions are set more like in an eight or a nine and that's all day, every day. So you don't make the best decisions when you're drowning in your emotions, just like you wouldn't be able to concentrate or make good decisions if you were listening to your stereo at eight or nine all day, all the time. Yeah. You know, I believe in reincarnation as well, but in your book, you talk about reincarnating with the same group of souls. So Mm -hmm. why don't we mix it up a bit and meet, other people when we come here. Why, oh, we is it, do. why is it always the we same? Do. Oh, we do. Okay. We meet other people. It's not that we only have those souls, but we have a tendency to choose to have, to come back into play, if you will, or interact or learn with a lot of, with like soul families. And that's why, you know, all of us, I'd like to think all of us, but maybe some people haven't been able to recognize it, but most of us have had a friendship or an intimate relationship that has started with such a feeling of, oh, my God, I know this person. Oh, you know? yeah, that's and, happened. Or, yeah. or we're immediately, you are like best friends, like you just get each other, okay? And that's because those people, we've had friendships that have developed over, you know, or relationships of different kinds that have developed over time. And... It doesn't mean we don't bring new people in. We do bring new people in. There's, you know, 8 billion people on the planet. There's plenty of new people to meet. 
But just like, you know, the Girl Scout song, Make New Friends But Keep the Old, we keep the right. old. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep, we have, absolutely. And those in our in our everyday life, those older friends are usually the ones that, you know, we cherish in a different way because they've seen so many incarnations of us. Mm. Okay. Because I was thinking, mix it up a little bit, you know? Now, now be, oh, yeah, you know, you somebody can. who's... And some yeah. people don't, some, not everybody chooses to do that. There are people who are very, like, I don't know, lone wolf souls or who who jump around, but most people when they do um, any kind of past life regression have a tendency to have multiple lives in a particular place. You know, they might have jumped around some, but they, if they find a place that they like or a place that it feels like it resonates, they'll find that, wow, I spent a lot of time there, you know, just like I spent a lot of time with that family. But if your family was terribly abusive to you, then just like anything, some people choose to totally disengage from them. Mm. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. The one of the things in your book that I found sad, it was that you were talking about spirits watching us preparing food and eating food and thinking that was great and wonderful, but they don't get to eat. So when you mentioned they don't yeah. eat, like there's no restaurants, not even special occasions, they don't get to have, not even chocolate. I mean, Not chocolate. really. I think oh. that it's more of a, in my experience, it's they don't have a physical body. So just like they don't feel mm. pain as significantly, you know, they can have a memory that's very vivid, and that is especially true if, you know, if people honor their beloved dead with offerings of their favorite food or their favorite drink or their favorite smoke. Some cultures, you know, like have celebrations of that, like the Day of the Dead. And, yes. um, and it used to be very fashionable to picnic at graveyards and I still do, mostly at my own family graveyard, but I've picnicked in other graveyards too with just the idea of like, oh, I'm going to have a seat and see who's around or, you know. Um, <laughs> who wants to come out and play? <laughs> but as a person who has, I have a lot of food allergies, so I've learned a, I've learned a lot from the dead and how they can savor and experience the memory of a particular food, especially when it's given to them as an offering has helped me a lot. So like in the summer, I can't really do dairy and I can't do gluten. Um, so, but I'll drive by a dairy, you know, bar or whatever ice cream place. And I'll be talking to my husband. I'm like, I'm going to have, and I'll just like name off this elaborate ice cream treat that I'm going to have. <laughs> and he'll be like, why do you do that to yourself? And I'm like, Oh, I actually kind of enjoy it. You know, I enjoy the really like allowing myself to sit in the memory of all of the times that I really enjoyed that. Um, the dead have taught me to value memories a lot, you know, to really savor those, those things. And when the dead are near people who are mediums, um, even mediums who aren't professionally doing so, but just natural mediums, like the experiences you have, you would be, in my opinion, considered a natural medium. You know, you've had experiences with the dead, you know, means you have ability. What you don't mm -hmm. have is skill. Okay. Right. So you have ability, random things will happen to you. Skill's different. But yep. when a spirit is near 
a person who has natural ability, the world is more vivid to them. So me eating ice cream is a really big treat for them, for example. Or um, if, you know, you have one person who has that sensitivity in a house, everybody's going to be able to kind of like, they're going to be able to experience the whole house, the spirit will. That's why, you know, people who are natural mediums often find that, you know, they have more experiences in a place that's considered to be haunted. Um, They also are more likely to be the one that's exhausted when they're staying there because their energy is the energy that's being tapped. (laughs) And, Mm. you know, that's where skill comes in because skill is when you learn to, you know, not allow your energy to be really be used without your permission. Um, Exactly. Yeah, I've told, I've actually told friends of mine who I know are they're professional psychics and mediums, and they'll say, "I'm just so exhausted," and I'll say, "Why? You shouldn't be using your energy. You're just right. a conduit. That's exactly. what I am in my energy work. Just exactly. the conduit. I don't get mm-hmm. tired from it. Not at all. Yeah, um, I think a lot of it is like anything. It's you know, even people who are in the field, we only know what we know. And while I was taught a lot by spirit, and like I said, I ask a lot of questions. Um, I also believe that the possibilities are still endless, you know, like I don't even Mm -hmm. know a quarter of what there is to know, you know, and I can learn new tricks any, every day, you know, like, um, in different ways of seeing. So if the way that somebody was taught their experience, nobody taught them how to, you know, maybe use energy other than theirs or that they were just a conduit, like you said, then they only know what they know from what they've learned, which a lot of times, unfortunately, is through pop culture, you know, movies, television shows. I mean, this is kind of funny, but not. But one time I went to a house and I did a seance and because I used to do home visits, you know, now I, I don't travel. I'm too busy for that, but I used to go to people's houses. And these people had some really weird energy in their house. And I think it was mostly (laughs) created by ley lines. So at the end of their session, you know, they wanted me to talk to me about their house. And so I looked at through it with them. And then I was like, told them, you know, what was going on and explained it to them. And I do want to say that they were pretty simple as far as their knowledge of metaphysical things. And they were, they were simple people. Okay. Like they really didn't think deep about spirituality. And I, um, so I get a phone call from a relative of theirs who knew me better because they called her and basically called everybody home at their family. And because I told them they had spirits (laughs) and they went and rented the exorcist oh my to god to see what they should do about it <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and i was just like well, what it was like, the only tool they knew <laughs> it was the only tool they knew and they were at least smart enough <clears throat> excuse me to contact their relative who did know more about it so she immediately called me to be like hey um, so I could, she said, can you just explain to me what is happening so that I can make, you know, and I really kept it as simple as possible. But what happens sometimes is that, you know, people's 
imagination, their fear, you know, gets activated and then they, all of those things that they've been taught, you know, because religion also made it. So like spirit communication was, you know, demon worship. And then you have, you know, um, you have, you know, bad eighties, right. Bad eighties movies. And, and the reality of it is, is that human beings have been communicating with their ancestors forever, you know, like so many cultures, it has been part of their religion, their culture, um, you know, and still is. And the big thing that really, I think, was a disservice that happened, particularly in the United States, was that, you know, in the 1950s, we really, you know, tried to homogenize what it was supposed to look like to be American. And we did that through television. Um, Mm -hmm. And so here we are, this, you know, multicultural nation, melting pot. And I was just recently in a um, customs line in Boston coming back from Ireland. And I looked around and I was like, people do not think that we are a melting pot. They just need to come stand in this line because these are all United States citizens. And holy crap, there are, we are so diverse. Um, yes. And that means that our spiritual practices, which have been handed down through our ancestors is also diverse. So a lot of yeah. our practices around how we interacted with death and dying were lost in this, you know, everybody needs a, you know, shiny car and, you know, white picket fence America, you know, like yep. it, it stole that from us and it, it put death into this place where it happens behind hospital doors in a sterile setting. And then the body is then taken to another sterile setting, which is a, you know, funeral home. Um, And while I think those things are wonderful and serve a purpose, we can still make those situations sacred. We still have rights to exactly. still can bring in, um, like if your loved one is dying in a hospital, you can bring in family pictures of their loved ones who are in spirit. You can bring in their favorite music. You can bring in their favorite blanket from home. You can, you know, sometimes we don't have that luxury because death happens fast, but right. we have that right. It is our right to do so. And, if we don't have old traditions, we can make new ones. We can say this yeah, is exactly. how I uh, how I want to honor my dad, or you know, even creating something for our family that says this is how I would like to be honored in death. You know, starting to be proactive about what our what we do what want because that's really hard for families to know how. Well, what did they want? You know, like nobody talks about death. So did they want to be cremated? Did they want a green burial? Did they want to be, you know, traditionally embalmed? How how did they want to go? What did they want? Yeah. You know? Now, these are important conversations to have. You did mention something I want to touch on before we need to go. You talked mm-hmm. about ley lines in your book. And mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I actually think I have some in a specific area of my yard. So would you please tell us about the ley lines? 
sure. And first, I'd like to say, if you think you do, you probably do. Because everything that you've been saying, you have a lot of natural ability. So, you know, you might want to go out there with a dowsing rod and just confirm for yourself. But, yeah, you, I built what you're a, feeling. I built a labyrinth over that space. I couldn't find there a you space go. for a labyrinth. This is what happened. Yeah. I went out in the winter with, um, with snowshoes on, and I was looking for where can I build this 50-foot-wide, seven-circuit labyrinth in my yard. Where can I nice. put it? Where can I put it? And I was looking around, and I couldn't, you know, I was like, I don't see anything. So then in the spring... My husband's shaving, and he's looking out the bathroom window, and he said, I kept saying, I'm looking for a sign. And he says to me, I think that's your sign. And I said, what? And I looked outside, and I thought, oh, my God, the man's trying to give me a harvest jack because he doesn't buy into this stuff, you know? And I'm <laughs> right, like, oh, my God, right. he's trying to tell me. So I look out the window, and all of the reeds, there's tons of reeds because we're on a lake, all of the reeds were laying yep. flat in a circle. And I was like, yeah, oh. I think that's a sign, too. So that was weird. So then I built the labyrinth, okay? And it took a couple yeah. of months. And it was on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. So we had a, a, a ceremony here. And the, these people came from the World Labyrinth Society, which I, they have oh, to wonderful. live somewhere. But I, I didn't know they lived in, you know, I think it was either Branchville or somewhere in New Jersey, like a half hour away. I didn't yep. know they lived there. These two women drive in. They're walking wicked fast around the labyrinth, like a number of times. I'm like, why are they almost jogging around the labyrinth? And they came out. One woman says, okay, I don't know what the hell you got going on in there, but that's some kind of a vortex of energy that's crazy. Uh-huh. And the other woman comes out yeah. and she goes, yeah, it really is. And then a woman I know came out with her friend, and the woman I know is crying. She's heaving in tears. And the friend says, you know, she never cries. And I said, really? <laughs> she goes, Right. <laughs> so I made them sit down before they could leave. And I've noticed animals are in there. There's all kinds of stuff in there. It's uh-huh. crazy. It's a, it's a wonderful little vortex. So I read about the ley lines and I thought, oh, she's got to talk about the ley lines on air because yeah. I really believe they're in that labyrinth. <laughs> yeah. So simplest terms is ley lines are very much like if we think of the meridians and Chinese acupuncture that run through our body that are like, you know, these electric um, well, there's two different types of lines. There are the lines that are um, like basically solar radiation, like radiating back up. Okay. Those mm-hmm. are considered to be dragon lines and serpent lines are water lines. So those are the underground water lines. So a uh, vortex is an area where multiple lines are coming together in a crossroads and it, will depending on the type of lines that are crossing whether they're water lines or uh, more of the you know the radio radiate not radioactive but radiate you know upward radiation um, from the solar radiation you know it will either be a upward spiral or downward spiral and that you might feel it pulling down or you might feel it's uplifting um, where you know your reaction was really intense there for people. It might have actually had multiple different kinds, uh, might have multiple different kinds of lines running into it. I actually talk a lot about ley lines and working with earth um, energy in my second book. So I have actually have three books. So my second book was The Path Elemental Witchcraft. And it is a book that's talking about working with nature and elemental spirits. Um, and the, you know, seeing water and earth as conscious, because I'm also a druid as well as um, a medium and a witch. So I have, you know, I've been working in the field for over 30 years, but I, this has been my life because my great grandmother was my first teacher. So 
Um, yep. I, it's really my life path. My husband told me many years ago that I had to stop calling it work because otherwise I was a workaholic. And <laughs> because even when I'm not working, I'm doing these working. things. You know, this is right. this is this is my fun time. This is my hobby. This is my work. You know, who I'm doing it for. Right. Who I'm doing it for changes whether it's work for me or not. You know, I see clients, you know, 20 hours a week. So that's work. I go to work. I have scheduled appointments. But when I'm not working, I'm doing the same kind of stuff. So, you know, it's like this radio um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And writing books. And um, I'm, you know, I've, this is definitely, like you said, it's my life. And I, I really feel very fortunate because I really love it. <laughs> well, yeah, you can tell. And your book certainly, it, your book exudes the energy of that. It just, when you're reading it, it's just, again, it's Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. And it's really, it's so compact. It's got everything that we've talked about in it and more. And yet it's only in 100 pages, but you get so much out of it. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. And uh, Sally Crow, we're almost out. I mean, we are out of time. But before we go, would you please tell us, our listeners, how they can learn more about you, sallycrow.com, as well as where they can purchase your book, all of your books. All of your books. Sure. Well, you can find um, all of my books at places like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, um, and my first book, Jump Girl: The Initiation Art of a Spirit Speaker, was a memoir. So that's a good one for people who are having psychic openings themselves because it will explain a lot of your experiences um, through my experiences. And you can find information on me by going to my website, sallycrow.com, S-A-L-I-C-R-O-W.com, sallycrow.com. I also am on Facebook and Instagram. And my website has events. It has a blog. It's, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a very, a very creative person. So there's usually something going on. And your, your website is a plethora of information. It truly is. It's, it's jam-packed full of stuff. And the fact that you said your first book is, you know, your experiences, so is this one. It, you relate yeah. stories in such a way that people can resonate with it because it's a real story. You didn't make it up, you know. So that's yeah. interesting that way. And, and I like that an awful lot. I appreciate so much your time, taking your time to be here. If you just hold on while I do the outro, I'll be with you in just a minute, okay? Thank you. Thank you. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Now it's your turn to do some good. We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on From the Heart Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a most challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we're meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So please share what you heard by sending this link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they can learn and grow and make the world a better place for all, too. Please check out our children's foundation, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need 100%. We're run solely by volunteers. There are no salaries for anyone. There's no overhead of any kind. Every penny goes to the kids. And right now we're helping subsidize the cost of mental health therapy sessions for children who might not otherwise receive this much needed therapy. You know, if you don't have strong mental health, you can't learn, you can't function well, and everything goes haywire in your life. Children need our help. 
So go to Soji Kids, S-O-J-I-K-I-D-S dot org. We are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. Please follow us on Twitter at Soji Huggles. While you're in your social media accounts, please be sure to like us on Facebook, Soji Huggles Children's Foundation. We're going to leave you with our From the Heart Radio Thought for the Week, written by Sally Crow herself. It's right in her book. When we open our consciousness and begin to understand that we do not cease to exist when we leave our body in death, then we begin to live our life with a deeper sense of purpose and joy. When we become open to the many ways our dead are utilizing to communicate with us, we feel less lonesome as we realize we are never really alone. And that passage can be found on page 13 of Sally Crow's book, Spirit Speaker, A Medium's Guide to Death and Dying. I am your host, T. Love, here at From the Heart Radio, intending you and yours a most enjoyable week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.